All right. Would you join me as we pray? Let's pray together. God, thank you for the chance to learn from your word. We know that we can always learn. And this is a great opportunity for us to learn together, grown-ups and kids, all in the same room. Thank you. We pray, God, that these words now would not just be words from my mouth, that they would be words from your heart to our hearts. And we believe that when we read your scriptures, you do something amazing. You teach us. You change us. We try so hard to change ourselves sometimes, but there is nothing like the change that you want to bring. So bring your transformation through this word. May the words of my mouth and the things that we consider in our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, great to see all of you again. Uh, show of hands, how many of you have a dog at home? How many dog owners, dog lovers in the room? Okay, that's good. That's good. Uh, my wife and I both grew up with dogs. Uh, we have not yet welcomed a dog into our house. So the end of this story is not, and we got a dog. Sorry, a little bit of an emotional letdown. But for four hours on Friday, there was a dog in our house. I want to tell you how that happened for us. We were driving out of our neighborhood to go run some errands, and we see uh, this guy, Ian, can we show that picture real quick, wandering around our neighborhood, right? Like, he's a really good-looking dog. If he was ugly, we might have kept driving. But he was, you know, like, you got to grab this guy. So I'm not driving. I'm going, hey, let's just go run our errands. My wife, who is far more compassionate than I am, says, well, he's not wearing a collar. Like, we don't know where he comes from. There wasn't this obvious, like, you know, people looking for him or a gate left open or anything like that. So we pick him up. We put him in the back of the car. He's super nice. Uh, No collar on him. So we didn't really know where his home was. So we take him home. We give him some water, right? We don't happen to have any dog food laying around, other we would have fed him. We took his picture, this one, and put it up on social media and then emailed it to uh, a vet right near where we live. And we called the vet and said, hey, we found this dog. If anybody calls in, can you uh, get him in touch with us? And then we just waited. And while we waited, of course, we're thinking like, man, we've wanted a dog for a really long time. <laughs> like, what if? Like, what if this is just kind of, you know, God's providence for us and here's a dog for you? And it turns out we weren't the only ones thinking that because after I posted this on social media, I have never seen comments populate so quickly. Like, boop, 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 boop. Like, if I had notifications on my phone, I sure, I'm sure it would have been sort of ringing off the hook. People saying things like, congrats on your new dog. So glad you got a new member of your family. And I'm going, okay, I said in the caption, this is not our dog. Help us find the owners. Why are you people encouraging us to keep this dog? It's like the bachelorette, like, keep him, keep him, keep him. (laughs) So long story short, not long after we emailed the photo to the vet, the owner of the dog called the vet, frantic, looking for him. The owner got connected to us through the vet. We found out the dog's name is Monty, very proper name for him. He is a smooth, uh, er, smooth collie, thank you. One of my aunts posted on my post, like, looks like a smooth collie. So we're like, well, there you go, Aunt Martha. Good job. And we got him home. Long story short is we got him home. His owner came and picked him up. And if you're a dog owner, I'm sure you would just feel this incredible relief. Like, oh, thank you that you had our dog. You know, and he's the nicest guy. He talks to us for a little while. And then Monty goes home, which is where Monty belongs. Now, the story could have ended very differently. There could have been no phone call. We were kind of going, okay, if we don't hear from the owners, we'll go take him to the vet. They'll scan him, see if he has a chip in him. I don't think we can do that with children yet, but there's a thought there. We were going to hang up posters around the neighborhood. Like, we kind of had, you know, sort of our branch plan in mind. But the story ends with Monty going home, and we're good with that. 
Um, we're probably now a little bit more inspired to go get a dog. So if you come back next week, maybe you'll be, have some news about this. What was exciting about having Monty in our home for just a little while is we had this thought, what if we could give this guy a new start? What if where he was before just wasn't good for whatever reason? What if, you know, he wasn't well cared for? What if, what if this is supposed to happen? And what if we can kind of give him a new beginning, a fresh chapter in his life, fresh chapter in our lives, right? We haven't owned a dog before now, so this would have been a change. Today, around the world, churches are worshiping and proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I asked a friend of mine this week, a friend who doesn't go to church, who I just happen to be hanging out with this week, hey, listen, I'm preaching on resurrection. I'd love for you to be a part of it. What do you, what do you think of when you think of resurrection? And my friend, who's not part of a church, said, I think of new beginnings. I think of new beginnings, beginnings plural, new opportunities to step into something different. We had that thought with Monty that did not come together, but it is amazing to think that for every one of us, there's an opportunity for a fresh start, for a new beginning. And I know many of you and many of you have followed Jesus Christ a long time. You have seen how this happens in your life, where you could get hung up on something, you could become really discouraged, and all of a sudden there's something new. There's new life. Like what the angel said to the women, why do you look for the dead? Where there, why do you look for the living among the dead? So often we go back to these places in our life where we go, you know, I used to you know, get a lot out of this. I used to get a lot of joy. I'm just going to keep going back to it. Maybe it's an old relationship. Maybe it's a way that you think about the world. Maybe it's a pattern in your work. And we keep coming back to these dead places and there's not life unless Jesus Christ is with us in it. The text today that we're going to look at is about people who got a fresh start to their faith. They got a new beginning to their faith. This group of women, these disciples that we hear about, they were following Jesus, they were excited about his ministry, then all of a sudden, boom, he's gone, he has died, and we worshiped and celebrated and remembered Jesus' death on Friday night at our Good Friday service. It was an amazing opportunity, and we remember their hopes were destroyed. They had no hope until this moment when God does something new. So our text gives us, I think, three opportunities to think about the new things that God wants for us. If you are an outline person, here comes your outline, so warm up those pencils, get them ready to go. First point we're going to talk about is do some digging. Can you say that with me? Do some digging. Second point is clarity in chaos. Say that with me, clarity in chaos. The third point is ask better questions. Ask better questions. And finally, we'll just talk, how does this land in our lives, okay? So do some digging. That's the first one. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Luke 24. We're going to go through it kind of verse by verse. Luke 24, starting in verse 1. This will be up on the screen, and I'll read it for us as well. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, the women, came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They were getting ready to honor Jesus' body, prepare him for burial. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. This group of women, they were followers of Jesus. They had watched horrified as their leader, as the man that they proclaimed as God and Savior of all, as he died in front of them. They witnessed this. If you've ever been in the room when someone you love died, you know this feeling. It is devastating. And they wanted to honor him, to kind of bring some closure, to sort of, in their culture, really treat him with the respect that he deserves. So they went to the tomb looking for the body, but they did not find it. In uh, the other gospel accounts, uh, one of the writers picks up on this detail that it wasn't like the grave had been robbed, that his clothes were folded up neatly. The things that he would have been buried in were arranged in such a way that it wasn't just this smash and grab job, that something had happened there, something remarkable. 
Now at this point, they go in to try to find the body, right? They've been following Jesus a long time. They have a choice and we have a choice. Do we just kind of shrug our shoulders and say, yeah, I've heard about the resurrection. Like, yep, I've kind of given it my level best thinking. Maybe at an earlier point in your life, you were a person of faith. You would have said you were a Christian. You would have said the resurrection is real. And at some point that changed for you. Well, you're not alone. There are a lot of people who have that narrative. The women in this story, I think, are on the cusp of that in some ways. But the text tells us that what led them in a different direction was what they saw in reality, what was right in front of their eyes. And that's a really important point to make as we talk about do some digging. If you've considered the resurrection before today and you've said, it's, it's not for me. I don't think I can verify it. I don't think it's empirically true. Jesus, great teacher, certainly not Lord, certainly not God. That's fine. If that's where you've come from today, I am really glad you're here. But I want to invite you to do some digging. Say that with me. Do some digging. By that, I mean go beyond a Google search and a YouTube video. Step into this reality of the resurrection. Doubt may have been a bad word for you if you grew up in a church context. That may have been something we were like, nope, don't bring your doubts in here. We don't talk about doubts. I believe very strongly that at Bethany Community Church, we treat doubt very differently. We believe it's important to doubt your doubts. What do I mean by that? We believe that a decision about faith can be made with integrity when we take the things that we assume. We take the things that may have led us to say, you know, I don't think I can follow Jesus. And we pull that apart to really have intellectual integrity around the decisions we finally land on, let me just encourage you, church, get out of your echo chamber, get out of your social silo, look more closely at the resurrection. And I'll give us some resources to do that in just a little while. But we're going to keep digging, just like the women in our story, and we're going to keep going into our text. So turn with me back to the Bible passage. This is verse 4. What was that first part? Do some digging, digging, church. Second part, clarity and chaos. Say that with me. Clarity and chaos. This comes up in verse 4. While the women were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. This is an unbelievable thing that's happening to them. They're already shocked, and maybe you've had this happen to you before. You have something happen to you, and you kind of go, whoa, I wasn't anticipating that. That's crazy. And then something else follows so quickly on the heels of it. It's like you haven't even stopped backpedaling yet. You're just still moving backwards from the original thing. I think that's probably how most human beings react to a strong or irrational thing happening in their life. Uh, Maybe you remember uh, the uh, cauldron, the crucible, if you will, of becoming socialized known as middle school. So when I was in middle school, I was this kind of scrappy, nerdy kid, and I was bullied. I was actually abandoned by my friends at one point, which was pretty sad and kind of a traumatizing turning point event in my life. How do you think I reacted to that? I went back on my heels. I didn't know what to do with it. Like, what is going on? Why would these guys who are my friends say, I'm not their friend anymore? This is terrible. I backed off from it. I kind of went underground. And when we get shocked by something, don't we all do a version of that? Where we just kind of go like, oof, I don't, I don't know what to do with this right now. I'm going to kind of go back a little bit. I think there's a very small percentage of the population that has the presence of mind to kind of lean into moments like that. And I long to have that type of character. But in that moment in my life, I I went underground. I went back. It took me a long time to kind of re-engage with the idea of friends and having a social life. Some would say that it's still not ended, but there you go. And I honestly think it's fine when we get overwhelmed to just need to take a step back. I'm not knocking on the reaction here. What I'm saying about the women in this story, and this is so powerful, these women had no reaction like that. They have this overwhelming experience of going to find the body. There's no body. 
what in the world, what's going on here? The tomb, the stone has been rolled away. This is all not making sense to us. And then add to that, these two men, these two angels show up and just start asking them questions. How many of you would like to be interrogated by an angel this morning? That would be a little intimidating, right? But here's the takeaway, and you can write this down if you're a write-it-down person. A chaotic environment is not the enemy of faith. Do not wait for chaos to pass over you. I'll get through this season. I'll get through grad school. I'll get my job figured out to actually take a good look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus warned against this. He said to his disciples, anybody who puts their hand to the plow, anybody who says, I'm with you, Jesus, and they look back over their shoulder and they're like, oh, but I gotta go do that thing and I gotta go shopping and I gotta make sure this happens. That is a recipe for failure. Because what are human beings infinitely good at? Kicking the can down the road. Do not kick the can down the road on the resurrection. A chaotic environment, if you're waiting for that to be over, you are missing out on the opportunity to experience what these women experienced, which is the reality of Jesus Christ in the midst of their chaos. Don't wait for chaos to pass. Lean into it. Look for clarity in the midst of your chaos. First of two resources I'll recommend today. On your way out today, you'll have the opportunity to receive one or both of these wonderful handouts. They're just handouts that I've found over my time in ministry that have been really helpful to people. They're both from different pastors. One's from Timothy Keller. One's from Scott Dudley down at Bellevue Presbyterian Church. They are great resources. One's kind of on the history of the resurrection, and one is just on what the gospel is. If you want clarity around that, if you want to really be able to consider the claims of Jesus Christ, grab one of those. If you're a Christ follower, grab one anyways, because it's a really helpful way to think about your faith. I would just commend both of those to you, especially if you've used the word busy or chaotic to describe your life lately. Anybody use either of those adjectives to describe their life lately? Pick up one of these handouts. They're short. They're simple. You can read it while you're on your commute. It is great. I would encourage you to do that. And I would encourage you not just to read it and just go like, oh, that's nice, and move on about your day. In your bulletin, there are opportunities for you to connect with us as a community. Connect with any church community, but find a group of people who believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and say, I want to have a conversation about this. I went to this church on Easter. They gave me this handout. I'm totally confused. Can somebody help me? Yes, because we want to be the type of church where we say, let's doubt your doubts. Let's have the conversation. Let's go get a cup of coffee. In your bulletin are more opportunities to do that. I will leave that to you to read through that at another time. Okay, how we doing, church? You doing okay? Everybody say, he is risen. Christ is risen. All right, the last one is ask better questions. Say that with me. Ask better questions. Verse 5 from the text. The the, uh, women have heard this question, or they're about to hear a question that really turns them upside down. By the way, it is amazing that Luke, this gospel writer, gives so much airtime to women. In this day and age, in the writing of this text, If a hundred women witnessed an incident like a crime or murder or something and no man witnessed it, that event was considered inadmissible in a court of law. You had to have a dude in the room to make it verifiable. What a train wreck our society would be if that was the case, right? But in this day, women were not given the respect that they are due to really witness to things like this. But Luke makes a controversial call in including them there, and there's a reason for that. Verse 5, stay with me, guys. The women were terrified, they bowed their faces to the ground, but the angels, the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Why do you look for the living among the dead? 
It'd be easy to say that's a rhetorical question, but it's not. It's the best kind of question. It's the kind of question that when you're a parent and you ask a question like that of your children where they can arrive at their own conclusion, you kind of go, oh yeah, that's good. I'm actually helping them think. I'm helping them come to a place where they can own this decision for themselves. I think that's what the angel is doing, angels are doing in this moment. They know these women have followed Jesus Christ. They know they've been broke down by watching him die. And they're saying to them, do you see what's happening here? Do you understand what's happened in this moment? My encouragement is to find a group of people or one person who can ask you really good questions. The most amazing mentors, the most amazing supervisors, the people who have had the biggest difference, made the biggest difference in my life, have always been people who asked me really good questions, asked me to doubt my doubts, to challenge my assumptions. That's why Easter is such a good opportunity for anyone. Because if you've followed Jesus a long time, or if you're brand new, the goal for you walking out of here is asking really good questions. Second resource I would recommend for you, come back here next week and grab a copy on your way out today of a wonderful book called The Reason for God. Has anybody read The Reason for God? We've got a bunch of copies out there. I just want to encourage you, take that as your gift. We will have some folks at the welcome table after worship who'd love to connect with you. And especially if you're a newcomer, grab a copy of that book. Come and have a conversation. Talk to me. Talk to one of our leaders. They've got the little lanyards on around their neck. That's not a fashion statement. That's so they can help you, so that we can be a church that connects people and helps you find a place to belong. Read that book, New York Times bestseller, so helpful to countless people around the world. Listen to the questions it's asking and do some digging. So what are our three takeaways, church? Do some digging. Say it with me. Do some digging. Look for clarity and chaos. Say it with me. Look for clarity and chaos and ask better questions. Ask better questions. What do we do with all this? This July, I will mark 20 years in my life of following Jesus Christ. I came to follow Jesus when I was a high school student. And in my journey toward (laughs) preaching this week, I wanted to spend some time just reflecting on what difference has the resurrection made in my life. I actually uh, shared this sermon with a couple people, and they put that question right in front of me. Like, I love what you're doing here, but tell us what difference the resurrection makes. If it's worth investigating, if it's worth doing the digging on, why? Like, how has it changed your life, Travis? How has it made a difference for you? And I should say this, nothing about my life is perfect. There is, if you find any part of me that even appears perfect to you, just scratch a little bit. It's, it's real messy under there. And if there's anything good or praiseworthy in my life, Jesus deserves the credit for it. It's not me. He gets the glory for anything that I'll share just now, and then we'll wrap up. I went through a period of my life as a teenager where I chose to do good things. Good things that I thought would help me feel good about myself. Teenagers deal with this, but adults don't deal with this, right? This is only teenagers, sure. My good things were good grades, a letter jacket, and my girlfriend. And if I was good in those things, I would feel good about myself. That's what I told myself. And honestly, after I achieved those three things, I felt like I'd eaten just a bag full of sugar. Like, my stomach might have felt kind of full, but I wasn't. I might have felt like I had something in me, but I wasn't done. I wasn't complete. I wasn't whole. And so through a caring mentor, a friend who asked me really good questions, ta-da, I came to a place in my life where I said, and these are, I think, almost the exact words I prayed 20 years ago. Jesus, I know that the stuff that I found, the good stuff won't fill me up. So will you. So will you. 
Will you help me feel whole and complete? If I ask you to step in and rule and reign in my life, will you actually satisfy me? That was my question, and I am not alone in asking that question of God. So what's the difference? Two things. A focus on others, and then some strength. And this is just how we'll close before we pray together. What difference has the resurrection made in my life? The resurrection has changed my life because I don't have to look at stuff or achievement to bring me joy. I still do. I'm still tempted by that every single day. Even with those good goals that I had in high school, those were selfish. Those were focused on me and my gain, my becoming greater. And it's different than what Jesus said his life was going to be about. In Luke 4, Jesus said he came to set captives free, to bring sight to the blind, and to bring good news to the poor. You know where I feel most alive, church? Is when our church has done things like step out and serve at a local elementary school and take care of kids and families who are on the margins. I feel most alive when I'm on mission trips. I feel most alive, when I, like I'm going to do in May, when I take a group of guys to a wonderful retreat where we can be shaped and formed to be leaders and servants in our communities. When my life is oriented around others, around blessing and serving others, I'm in the sweet spot. And that is how the resurrection has changed my life because I don't have to live for myself anymore. Last one is, a pl- is just a place of strength. If you've ever been frustrated by failing and failing and failing, the resurrection gives you hope for that new beginning. Remember, we talked about that right at the start. When I get frustrated by my failures as a parent, raising my voice as a kid, what I can say at a kid, what I can say at the end of that is, well, I just need to never do that again. Has any parent ever said that before? I just need to never do that again, right? What's the kind of assumption there? That if I get it right, I'll be right. That if I get to some sort of stage of moral perfection, I'll be okay. No. The resurrection has changed my life because what I know after I fail is, you know what? I stand on grace. I stand on grace. I am not after moral perfection. It's still tempting to me, but I know that's not going to make me last. That's a bag of sugar. What I need is Jesus' resurrection power to not work myself into a lather to be perfect, but to count on his perfection to carry the day and to carry me forward, to be, change the type of character that I have in me to be the type of person he wants me to be. Earlier we heard these great words from 1 Corinthians 15. As all die in Adam, so all will be made in Christ. That's the offer. And if you want to join me and pray these words in just a moment, I'm going to invite us to pray. And if you've never prayed these words before, you're welcome to pray them with me. If you've prayed them before and you just want to kind of re-immerse yourself in Jesus' grace, I invite you to do that. We won't say things out loud. I won't ask you to hold up hands. I just want you to be exposed to the wonderful news that the resurrection brings new beginnings and to own that for just a moment. So I'm going to invite the band to come back on stage and we're going to close. This is the conclusion. This is the end where we pray and where we ask for God's resurrection power to come. So would you join me as we pray? Jesus, you are alive and you are real. We're so thankful for this day, for Easter, for the news of the resurrection, that we can have new strength, that we can be changed, that we can have freedom. And there are so many things that we go after that don't create any kind of freedom for us, even good things. And we pray for just a minute you'd hear us as we say to you in the quiet parts of our hearts, God, these are the things that I have tried to use to fill myself up like a bag full of sugar, and it's not working. I own these responsibilities. This is the part that I've played. Jesus, without you, we are lost. 
And so we pray for your forgiveness and your freedom. With you, we have life. The resurrection means new beginnings, and we want that. So Jesus, we call out to you in the silence of our hearts, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. Would you make your home in our hearts? Would you set up shop? Would you come in to even the darkest places of who we are and bring your light and bring your goodness and bring your warm embrace? Would you bring your resurrection power into our world and lead all of us into a new beginning this day? Make our community your home. Make our church your home. Make the world around us more like heaven for everyone. We ask this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.